Let's turn in the scriptures to 2 Peter. We'll be there to begin with. And then we'll move to Matthew a little bit later in the, in the sermon. I have wrestled through what to teach this week. Um, for months, I have been planning to wrap up the series that we've been doing in 1 Peter, Mark, and 2 Peter with a more biographical message on Peter. And um, I was preparing that way all the way up until Thursday of this week. And I was having a conversation with Zach on Friday morning, and right in the middle of the conversation, just all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. No, I need to wrap up just this four weeks that we've had in Second Peter with uh, some practical instruction. And so I have uh, uh, shifted my focus from doing more of a biographical message on the, the example, the, the encouragement that every believer can get from the life of Peter to focus on, on the reminders one more time. Peter's second letter was written about a year before he, he died, uh, within the year before he died. Uh, he died as a martyr during the reign of Nero in the mid-60s A.D., so about 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Peter, of course, was Jesus' lead disciple, and he writes this last letter, as he puts it in the middle of chapter 1 and at the beginning of chapter 3, to give reminders, crucial life reminders, to the believers for whom he's responsible and the believers whom he loves. Over the last few weeks, we've worked through the four central reminders of Peter's second letter. The first one was from the end of chapter 1. It was, the Bible isn't fiction. Peter wasn't writing myths when he described that Jesus is coming again. He says, I was an eyewitness of the preview that Jesus gave of his glorious return on the Mount of Transfiguration. But even more than being an eyewitness, there are hundreds and hundreds of passages throughout the Old Testament scriptures that promise that Jesus is coming. And those are even more certain than eyewitness experience. He essentially says this isn't fiction. We didn't make this stuff up. The Bible's not fiction. The second reminder throughout all of chapter 2, is beware bogus preachers. This is where Peter gave a sustained and sober warning against professing Christians who subtly contradict everything the Bible teaches. They undermine the Bible's authority and say, oh, those are just, those are just uh, ancient beliefs of how people interacted with God. We've got to update them today. These supposed Christian teachers contradict Jesus saying he's not the only way there are lots of roads that lead to God Jesus isn't the only way they promote immorality and greed and I've said this in the past I've tried to reiterate it I say it again today bogus preachers are the most popular preachers in America bogus preachers are internationally popular within Christianity today And we must watch out for them the rest of our lives. This isn't something going on in some kind of backwoods, you know, some little alley. It's major. It's billboarded everywhere. 
in the world, throughout the world. Reminder number three, Jesus is still coming. It may seem like a long time, but Peter reminds these believers whom he's writing to, to uh, these believers whom he loves, he's reminding them that even though Jesus might wait a long time to return, he has his reasons for doing so. He has good reasons for doing so. And even though it might be a long delay, he's most certainly going to come. This is most of chapter 3. And Peter says there, Jesus' return, it's going to be cataclysmic. And it's in keeping with scripture, and it's in keeping with logic, even uh, regarding past cataclysmic events. The last, what I call the bookend reminder, what begins, what opens the book, and what closes or ends the book. The bookends are this fourth reminder that we should never stop growing. Never stop growing. At the end of the letter, as we read this morning earlier in the service, grow in grace. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he opens the letter, Peter opens the letter profoundly. May grace be to you, and and I urge you to add to your faith virtue. And virtue is the umbrella term for six other virtues. There's the sevenfold virtuous life that Christians keep growing in and making diligent effort in pursuing. The bookends of the, of the letter are grow in grace and add to your faith virtue. It's the fourth reminder. Never stop growing. Now the question I want to answer in today's message is very, very simple. It's just how do I keep from forgetting These are reminders, and we've focused on them the last few weeks. How am I going to keep from forgetting the reminders? The way I'd title the message is just remember the reminders. How to remember the reminders. How do I keep these four crucial reminders front and center as a consistent drumbeat, as it were, of my life so that I don't forget? How do we keep remembering these reminders? What I plan to do today is give 10 suggestions. These are not the only suggestions. These are 10 helpful suggestions. I don't expect you to make use of all 10, though you could. They're overlapping suggestions. They're not mutually exclusive. It's not like I'm going to take suggestion three. That means I can leave the rest out. A healthy Christian life will always involve three or four of these suggestions. A wise Christian life will always involve five or six or seven of these suggestions. You don't have to take them all, but consider them overlapping suggestions. Oh yeah, I appreciate that encouragement. I need to explore that path this year. These are ten suggestions. Okay, I'm going to breeze through the first nine. Some of you (laughs) wish it was a little more breezy. Um, I'm going to move quickly, okay? As quickly as I can. Um, and then when we get to the 10th one, I'm going to park on it. And the 10th one is one of the most fundamental aspects of Christian discipleship that I have not emphasized in about five or six years. And I just sensed very strongly throughout this week that I should focus on that 10th fundamental habit of discipleship and 10th strategy for not forgetting these reminders. All right, so here are 10 strategies for remembering the reminders. The first one is, very simple, come to church each week. The church is designed by God to be the place where the Bible's taught, right? 
where a whole congregation of people is listening to the Bible as God's truth. Where when the, when the, when the teaching is faithful, the truth is held up, and it's said, you got to let the truth expose the lies by putting the counterfeits next to it. Healthy teaching always involves saying, if this is true, then this is false. Come to church weekly and you'll hear the truth of the Bible and falsity exposed. Jesus' coming is going to be longed for in song and in prayer. And we're going to, just by interacting, crossing paths, having conversation with each other, maybe getting aside and saying, how has your week been going? Or can I pray for you? I just want you to know that I've been praying for you. What should be going on in a gathering like this is we should be spurring one another on to growth in love and good works. You come to church regularly, consistently, the reminders are going to be put in front of you constantly. Right? Second, read your Bible systematically. If you're regularly reading through the Bible, you might do it in a one-year plan. It's wonderful, and several in our congregation are doing that or have done that. You might say, I'm reading through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. Got a few friends who are doing that. You might say, I've never read through the Bible before, but I'm about halfway through, and it's taken me two years so far. I'm going to keep going. I'd say, awesome. Get through the Bible in four or five years. Just keep regularly reading the Bible. And if you do that... You're going to regularly expose yourself to the truth of God and how God exposes the lies that were in ancient cultures and the lies that still persist in our culture. And you're going to see promise after promise. You're going to see it a hundred times from page one of the Bible that this earth was designed to be ruled by a human, by a man. And from the second or third page of the Bible, that man is going to be a descendant of Eve who crushes Satan's head. And from the fifth or sixth page of the Bible, it's going to be a descendant of Abraham. From about the hundredth page of the Bible, it's going to be a descendant of David. You keep working through the Bible. This earth is designed to be ruled by the Son of Man, by the Lord Jesus. And the hope is going to keep coming that this earth is designed by God to be ruled by the King of Kings. You keep reading the Bible, and these reminders will keep coming one after another after another. Just keep reading systematically, right? Another suggestion. You could re-listen to these sermons. If you don't have a regular habit of listening to good sermons, let me encourage you to try it. Maybe the first day of the next four months, Say on March 1st, I'm going to go back and re-listen to reminder number one. And then April 1st, I'm going to listen to reminder number two, and so on. Just re-listen to the sermons. Make it a point. Bring your schedule into line with your goal. I don't want to forget. Ask a friend to help. Maybe reach out to a friend this morning and say, (laughs) I'm not much of of a disciplined calendar kind of guy, but... Would you just be able to put on your calendar an opportunity for us, maybe around the 1st of June, to connect over coffee? And I would love it if you would ask me, how have you been digging into the Scripture? And, uh, and are, are, you, are you memorizing any Scripture? Do you sense that you're growing in any ways? Are there any ways in which you sense God is exposing needs for growth? Give a friend a list of questions and say, could, could we just make a plan? two or three months from now, 
to have a conversation and you, you ask me these things because I don't want to forget. Fifth, memorize 2 Peter. I want to throw this suggestion out there for those who've never tried to memorize a whole book of the Bible. Most people in our day and time, I would guarantee it's probably 80% of the people in this room, downplay their brains as weak. I give the suggestion, memorize 2 Peter, and you're like, whoa, 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 70 verses? You're like, I could never do that. And I want you to know, I want you to know that I bet money that you can. <laughs> there might be a few in here who can't. I'd guess nearly 98 or 99% of us could if we got into a regular habit, if we made it a priority. Most of us don't realize that our brains, fallen as they are, are still fearfully and wonderfully made, have massive capacity for information. And simply put, memorization promotes remembering. Memorize it. Sixth, schedule mornings with God. This was a suggestion made to me throughout my early 20s. Few of my teachers said, schedule a morning with God every few months. And for me, that would look like carving out a Saturday morning, usually a month or two in advance, where I would just say, up until noon, I'm going to find a quiet place. For me, it was often a local park, and I'm going to bring a Bible, a hymnal, and a journal. And I'm just going to devote myself to reading a couple chapters of the Bible, maybe a psalm. For you, it may be, I'm going to schedule three of these for the rest of the year. Maybe I'll do one in May, and then one in July, and then one in October. And I'm just going to schedule a morning with God, and in, in the first one, I'm going to do Second Peter 1. The second one, I'm going to do Second Peter 2, and the third one, I'm going to do Second Peter 3. And you just say, I'm just going to take a few mornings, and I'm going to get get aside, and I'm just going to focus on that chapter, and I'm going to pray through every line of it, asking God to work it into my soul. And as God brings songs to my mind, I'm going to have a little booklet next to me of songs that I can sing. And I'm just going to, alone before the Lord, sing to Him and pray to Him and worship Him using this text. Schedule, maybe a quarterly morning with God. Seventh, take theology classes. Take four classes on the subjects of these reminders. I'm going to get very specific. Go to a website called biblicaltraining.org. Biblicaltraining.org. And enroll in a free class. You're going to listen to about 20 lectures. And there's going to be an option to read a book with it as well. Take a class on bibliology. That is, what is the Bible and how do I read it well? Then take a class on either church history or contemporary evangelicalism in either place if you study church history one of the things you're going to study is the history of heresies and it's going to be immediately relevant to you today because all of the heresies that we deal with today are very old and have been going on century after century nothing's new under the sun or take a class in contemporary evangelicalism to learn about some of the current movements that are going on and strengths and weaknesses of them so 
First, take a class on bibliology. Then take a class on church history. Then take a class on eschatology. That is the study of the future, what the Bible teaches about the future. And finally, take a class on sanctification. Listen to 15 or 20 lectures on how do Christians grow. Take a few free theology classes. Again, I want to say, this one here, I think you can sort through these, uh, these how do I keep the reminders in, in the front of my mind. Some of these reminders, like one and two, are critical. This one is optional. But some of you may be sitting here thinking, I've never even thought of that. That's something that I could do on my commute. Awesome. Give it some consideration. Number eight, create a music playlist of songs that remind you of 2 Peter. You might read through each verse of the book, and as God brings a song to your mind that connects with it, put it into a playlist. For example, you read the first two verses about the righteousness of God our Savior that we have received. And you say, I need to be listening constantly to all sufficient merit. New song that came out, it was pointed out to me just a few weeks ago. Powerful about how the righteousness of Jesus gets credited to my account. Read through the phrase in 2 Peter and say, a song can remind me of that. You get to the third verse of the first chapter and it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. You say, oh, I could use the song grace and peace to remind me that I every day am in desperate need of God's grace and peace, and so on. Feel free to reach out to a Christian friend or two and say, as, as you read through chapter 1, what songs come to your mind? And use that to kind of brainstorm together, to put together this playlist. And then use it. Actually design the length of the playlist so that it can fit your schedule. You might say, I have a morning routine in which I wake up, I make coffee, get the kids' lunches made, and, uh, and then I have an opportunity for about two minutes to pray. And you say, I've got 15 minutes. Then put together four songs, right? Or you might say, I have a 25-minute commute to work. Put together a playlist of eight songs that remind you of Second Peter that you can listen to once a day, maybe on your way home from work. Or you say, I have a workout routine that right now takes 38 minutes. Put together a 38-minute playlist that you can listen to three times a week and you say, I am just consistently reminding myself of the truths of 2 Peter. Could be a very helpful suggestion for remembering the reminders. Nine, read four books. I'm going to give you four really short ones, okay? On the subject of the Bible... All these books are out in the Resource Center. Why Trust the Bible? Little white hardback book by Greg Gilbert. Why Trust the Bible? On Beware Bogus Preachers, get Strange New World by Carl Truman. It's a much smaller version of his bigger book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's called Strange New World. Third, get Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. Little book by John Piper that has a chapter just glorying. It doesn't sort through any of the controversies. Just glorying in the second coming of Jesus. Fourth, Don Whitney, 10 questions to diagnose your spiritual health. 
commit to reading a few great books saying, I'm just going to get my feet wet. I'm going to try to read one of these every three months and work through all four of them over the next year. Read a few books. Okay? We've worked through nine. I don't know how breezy that was for you, but we're done with nine. Now we park on the tenth. Daily pray the Lord's Prayer. Here's where I want to park for the rest of the message. And I want to emphasize this as a foundational matter of Christian discipleship. Like I said, it's a matter that I've emphasized in the past. It's affected my life. I try to share it in personal conversations, but I just want to do so publicly again. There are two kinds of prayer, and both of them are necessary and good. One kind of prayer in the life of a Christian is what I might call spontaneous, reactive. You hear a burden, and you immediately stop and pray for it. You are going about your day and immediately your heart gets heavy for a friend or your heart gets heavy for what's going on in Turkey. You just pray, God, help that individual right now. I pray that you would assure them of your presence. This is spontaneous. This is reactive. It's reacting to news or reacting to burdens. The second kind of prayer is what we're focused on. And that would be considered prayer that is systematic and proactive. Whether I feel like I need to pray it, I always pray it. It's just part of a routine, part of a habit. Systematic and proactive prayer. Again, I'm not pitting these against each other as if one's good and the other's bad. Both of these are wonderful and need to be part of our lives. But when Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, he was focusing on prayer that is systematic and proactive. That is, we maintain a fairly regular time of day and we pray through the the matters that are most significant. We pray through, according to Jesus, six burdens every day. It's, it's so foundational for discipleship. I want to read the passage, I want to explain it briefly, and then I want to come back and show just how it connects to the reminders so that you say, aha, there is a way of keeping these reminders front and center that's just involving the daily discipline of, of healthy, systematic prayer. The passage I want to ask you to turn to is Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. I have been so helped by this passage throughout the years because, in my estimation, it alleviates my guilt in always feeling like a prayer failure. Right? I think a lot of us live with this like middle grade guilt that I don't pray like I should. And what Jesus does in these 11 verses that we're about to read is say, Here's how you have a faithful prayer life. This is what faithfulness looks like. Could we pray more? Always. Until we get to glory, there's always going to be room for growth in our prayer lives. But if you say, I just want to be faithful, these 10 verses, 11 verses, tell us what faithfulness in our prayer life looks like. 
I think they have the power to alleviate us from always feeling this burden of guilt that I just, I just never measure up in this aspect of my Christian life. Jesus says, verse 5, Matthew 6, 5, When you pray, don't be like the religious hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They get the praise of people. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now clearly, Jesus is not forbidding public prayer. He is forbidding here prayer that seeks public recognition. And he teaches us that our lives as disciples must be marked by private prayer. Public prayer should really be the overflow of private prayer. Because, according to Jesus, God sees you in secret. He knows who you are behind closed doors. He knows whether you're really as dependent on him as you put on in public. Verse 7, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So here he's urging heartfelt, sincere prayer. He's not interested in a religious ritual that says, if I do this enough, I'm going to get God to do what I ask. Now, there's no manipulation of God. You don't, you don't annoy God into getting him to do what you, what you want him to do. There's no ritual that you can use to control God. And then Jesus, after kind of clearing out, don't do it for public recognition. Don't do it with these mindless rituals. He's cleared all of the the falsity away. And he says, okay, now let me tell you how to pray. Pray then like this. Verse 9. I love that phrase. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It means I pray that your name would be honored. Your kingdom come. I want your kingdom to come soon. And I pray that your will would be done on earth exactly like it's done in heaven. The first half is focused on the advance of God's purposes. And then the second half is focused on your needs, our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide my basic needs. And forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. The word debt here reminds us that every sin we commit carries a penalty of debt to God. And God, we know through the blood of Jesus, can mercifully forgive and cancel our debts, our debts of sin. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is Jesus' how-to prayer. It's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Many people, it's not original with me, they point out that the title, the Lord's Prayer, is actually a little misleading because it's not a prayer that the Lord prayed, right? For example, Jesus never had to pray, forgive me my debts. He never had to pray for the forgiveness of sins. 
It's only called the Lord's Prayer in the sense that the Lord, Jesus, taught us to pray it. It's the prayer that comes to us with the Lord's authority saying, this is how you should pray. I think it might be better to be called the Disciples' Prayer or the Christian's Prayer because it's what Jesus taught every one of his followers to pray. He taught all of his disciples to pray like this, interestingly, without mindless repetition. Isn't that ironic? Because many Christians today only ever pray this prayer when it comes up as something that you must repeat verbatim in a church service. Now, there's nothing wrong with repeating it in a church service. There's nothing wrong with praying it by heart, memorizing it. In fact, I think you need to memorize it in order to be able to use it. But Jesus' concern is not simply that we would mindlessly recite it in religious ritual. His understanding is that we would we would allow it to percolate and flesh it out daily, right? So that when we come to the first request, like, Father, I want your name to be hallowed, so that we would say something like, God, I want you to be honored in how I control my temper today. I want you to be honored, Father, in that person that I've been praying for. May they confess their faith in baptism so that you'd be glorified in your church. I want your name to be honored so that you're actually taking this prayer and you're, you're fleshing it out, saying, God, I want your name to be honored in this way and that way. Right? Like I said, I want to work through it just very briefly and then show how it's an effective strategy for remembering the reminders. The first three issues... The first three issues focus on praying for the promotion of God's glory. And I don't want to skip our Father, right? Christian prayer is never directed to angels or to other Christians, whether dead or alive. Our prayer is directed to God alone. And generally, our prayer is addressed to God the Father with the access or the boldness given to us by the blood of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we are energized by the burdens the Holy Spirit is fueling in us to exalt Jesus. Christian prayer is typically to God the Father, through God the Son, in the power of God the Spirit. The only people who can direct prayer to God are those who can truly call God Father, right? And to call God Father, you have to be born again into his family. There is no way of calling on God as your Abba, your Daddy, Father, without being born again. You must turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as your only hope for being right with God. You must acknowledge that by nature you're wayward. You're you're by nature self-centered. By nature you're God's enemy. God, I hate that. I pray that you would forgive me for my waywardness, my selfishness, my, my rebellion through Jesus. God, I pray that you would welcome me, adopt me into your family all because of Jesus. If you have begged for God's forgiveness through Jesus and you have called out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you can call out to God as your Father. If you've never called out to God saying, forgive me through Jesus, I urge you to do so now. If you've never said, save me, welcome me, have me, 
do so now. But if you have called out for salvation through Jesus, then I urge you to start every prayer like this. Sovereign Father, my Father who rules over heaven, my Father who is in heaven, start your prayer right there. What did Jesus teach us to pray? He said, first, pray, Father, I want your name to be honored. And like I already suggested, this is most significantly highlighted when people turn from being their own authority and confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God is glorified for the wonders of his grace when sinners turn to him. So one of the ways that we should always flesh this out is to say, God, I want your name to be honored. I pray that we would hear that individual confess Jesus as their Savior and praise forever your grace. Honor yourself, Lord, in answering my prayer. I want your fame to be spread abroad. Second, Father, I want your kingdom to come. Of course, we're begging for that day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And there are so many things on a daily basis to fuel this longing, aren't there? Our prayer could sound like, God, I hate what's going on right now in Ukraine. How long is there going to be war on earth rather than peace? Your kingdom come. Or it may be the problems that we're reading about and seeing pictures of on the border of Turkey and Syria saying, God, how long are these these natural disasters going to be taking the lives of over 20,000 people? Come, Lord Jesus, bring peace on earth. It could be that we're experiencing death and we are grieving loss over years and we keep saying, God, how long until you finally destroy death? Come, Lord Jesus, bring an end to it all. Or it could be our ongoing bout with persecution and suffering and injustice and temptation that makes us cry out, how long am I going to keep suffering? Jesus, come. Right? I want your kingdom to come. Let a few of those daily burdens lead you to shout every day, I want your kingdom to come, Lord. Third, I want your will to be done, Father. When we pray this, we're praying that God's will, as it's been revealed in his word, would actually be lived out on earth. So we're praying that when we say, I pray that this unbeliever would obey your command to believe on the Lord Jesus and repent of their sins. May your will be done in their life. We're praying that when we pray for believers to grow in obedience. If you look at just what's going on here in the chapters that surround the prayer, we'd say, God, I pray that you'd help that person put off anger and pursue reconciliation because that's your will. God, I pray that we as believers would grow in prayer. I pray that we would be more in private than we are in public, that we would grow in honesty and sincerity. We're praying that God's will would be done on earth, right? We're praying that the Lord would help us to grow in love, these sorts of things. That's God's will, that we would love one another, that his love would be perfected in us. Do you pray that way systematically, proactively? I hope you see from even these first requests where I'm going and connecting this with remembering the reminders. But 
Before we go, let me just park here for a minute and say, do you see that if you pray systematically like this, your prayer is always going to be front-loaded with God's concerns, right? Your prayer is always going to be front-loaded with, God, I want your glory to be promoted in the earth, right? Getting into a habit of praying like Jesus taught will actually help our prayer to be rightly balanced. And we all need that. Second, after praying for the promotion of God's glory, then we pray, every Christian should pray every day for our physical and spiritual needs. We're not pitting these two against each other. It needs to be both and. It needs to be first and second. Jesus taught us how to pray and we should follow the way he taught us. So we pray first for our daily needs, our physical provision of sleep and food, strength, health. We pray, we we rely on him for these most basic necessities that are all summed under our daily bread. When we pray for these things, it cultivates within us thankfulness when he provides us with food and with strength and with health and with sleep we depend on him and when he provides we thank him and it also teaches us to wrestle through to the point of contentment when we are struggling with sleep when food doesn't taste good when God has not given us health we say God I'm looking to you You must have a greater will because I'm praying that you would provide these things and yet I know your will needs to be done and not mine. I'm going to wrestle through to the point of contentment under the hand of my sovereign God. We pray for our daily provision and it works this kind of maturity in us. Fifth, we pray daily for forgiveness. Jesus teaches us that we should be praying day to day for forgiveness from God. It's interesting, but so many believers just wrongly think that if God forgave us all of our sins, past, present, and future when we were converted, then there's no need to keep confessing our sins to the Lord. And that ignores the reality of personal relationships. Personal relationships are marked by personal communication that is day after day transparent and humble. If your life, like mine, is far from perfect, and you mess up a lot during each day, and if God has personal feelings about those sins, then you should talk with him about them and say, God, I don't want to just brush by my anger yesterday. I don't want to just brush by how how I live for like three hours, all twisted up, not trusting you, and only focused on me and what people would think about me. Forgive me, God. I hate these sins that keep seeming to get the upper hand in my life, right? We say, Father, forgive me. Please forgive me my debts, my bitterness, my lust, my dishonesty, my judgmentalism, and so forth. Healthy relationships keep short accounts, and Jesus taught us this with our most important relationship, our relationship with God. Sixth, we pray daily for protection from temptation. I need protection today father does your day 
generally start with you proactively, systematically, begging God for protection from your adversary. Committing your heart to the Lord. Saying, God, if you allow my adversary to throw darts my way, I pray that you would make me strong in resisting temptation. You see how praying this way systematically, proactively puts us in a mindset that we're in a war and we need God's help and we're going to face temptation. Under the mysterious hand of our sovereign God, He is going to allow darts to be flung at us and we're praying for courage and strength to resist, right? My primary goal this morning is inspiration, okay? It's not conviction, I want to inspire you to healthy prayer habits. I want to inspire you that it's possible to have a faithful prayer life and not always beat yourself up because you're not all you should be in prayer. Right? I want to encourage you that you can establish a healthy habit of prayer if you just take a few minutes a day and you thoughtfully, personally pray through these six requests. If you do so, you can be faithful to the Lord in your prayer life. I hope that inspires you. If you say, but I could be more. I'll say, yeah, all of us could be more. And there may be seasons ahead in life where you can do more. But right now, just focus on being faithful. And don't beat yourself up for all the other things that you could be doing. Or being like that person who does it more than you. No, just be faithful. I really hope that there is inspiration. But I also want to acknowledge I'm a pastor, and you might hear this message as a Christian and respond under deep conviction. And I would say immediately, thank God that His Spirit is touching an area of your life that needs to be addressed. If you respond to this brief message focused on the 10th strategy for remembering the reminders, And you say, my private prayer life is unfaithful. And frankly, I don't know when the last time I've prayed for God's honor is. I always focus on my problems, and I'm not focused on on the promotion of God's glory. If that's you, don't wallow. God is not bringing you to this point of conviction to like rub your face in the dirt. What should you do if you're convicted about the weakness, the unfaithfulness of your prayer life right now? Pray what? The Lord's Prayer! Yes! (laughs) We got it! The answer is just pray. Start praying this prayer. And you know what? You're going to come to a point in the prayer where you say, forgive me my debts, Father. Jesus told me to pray like this, and I haven't. Forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my prayer failures. Jesus, I pray that you would wash me of this, and I pray that you would help me to keep growing in days ahead. Right? You're going to come to the last You're going to say, God, don't let me fall to temptation today. 
And maybe you add to that if you're deeply convinced that, that this message is, is for you and addressing an area of need. You come to that last prayer request and you say, God, don't let me fall to temptation. Don't let me fall to the temptation of prayerlessness, a prayerless life. Right? Just start making use of this prayer. I end like I told you I would by focusing on Peter's reminders, right? The Bible isn't fiction. Beware bogus preachers. Jesus is still coming. Never stop growing. These are Peter's reminders. I hope you see that if you are faithfully praying like Jesus taught you to pray, then you are regularly praying the Bible. You're regularly praying your kingdom come. You are regularly praying protect me from evil. And you're regularly praying for growth when you pray your will be done in my life and in others. So how do we remember the reminders? Well, if you don't have a strategy for remembering, you're going to forget. One of my teachers used to say it so memorably. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. That was the way he said it in his thick German accent. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. What I hope I've done today is given you some strategies, some practical strategies that will encourage you to remember these reminders and that that you would not only remember them, but allow your life to be shaped by them. And I end on the 10th. Jesus said, pray then like this. I hope that behind what I've suggested, particularly in this 10th point, I hope that you hear behind my brainstorm of a strategy, you hear the words of your Lord and Savior saying, pray like this. Let this sort of prayer shape your daily life. And I say, if you do, if you follow the words of Jesus, it'll help you remember the reminders. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us not to forget. Help us never to think, I've heard this a hundred times, so I don't need any more reminders. Father, if Peter needed them, if the people he pastored needed them, then we need them. I pray, God, that you would help us to be doers of this word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, for his glory and our good, I pray. Amen. Amen.